Listener supported. WNYC Studios. On this show, we've often observed that what happens online rarely stays online. In the age of Pizzagate, Trump tweets, and WikiLeak data dumps, it's obvious that the conversations online increasingly dominate, even define our politics. A fact demonstrated yet again last Thursday, when the president invited his favorite online trolls, memers, and political operatives to clink champagne glasses in the White House and discuss an alleged anti-conservative bias on social media. Will Summer, tech reporter for The Daily Beast wrote about the odd cast of characters and what this social media summit tells us about the president's 2020 re-election strategy. Will, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so we're going to discuss last week's White House social media summit, but first I want to talk about the online forum that has supported many of the so-called influencers that were in attendance at the White House, specifically are the Donald, which is a pro-Trump subreddit. What is its role in the far-right media? The Donald is one of the uh, largest forums for Trump supporters online. How and it, large? It's a, I believe the official membership, and this doesn't include people who visit but haven't signed up for the forum, I believe is somewhat south of a million. Wow. There's many more people looking at it than just that. It's a place essentially where people get together. They share memes, um, sometimes sort of extremist or hateful ones. They praise Trump. Obviously, they call him their God Emperor. <laughs> and so, in terms of like how stuff spreads on the the right wing internet, the Donald often is a place where, for more extremist sites, whether that's like 4chan or other sites like that, these memes filter up through the Donald, and then from there into the wider pro Trump internet. Well, the emperor designation sounds tongue-in-cheek, but what are some of the less humorous memes or conspiracies that have filtered up through the Donald subreddit? Sure. So the Donald was a huge place for the uh, Seth Rich conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. which you know posits that Hillary Clinton had this DNC staffer named Seth Rich murdered. There's nothing to it, but even today, you know, the Donald people will post pictures of Seth Rich. And they view him as this sort of hero. At the same time, that the Rich family has asked all the speculation to end. It's sort of torturing them. I know so, it's so uh, so sad. Exactly. Like a lot of things on the Donald, in the case of Seth Rich, we saw it start from really obscure, little-traveled corners of the Internet. And then from there, it goes to the Donald, which has a much larger platform and a much bigger audience. And then a couple months later, Fox News picks up on it. There's a pretty clear line from these sort of Internet backwaters through the Donald, ultimately, to Sean Hannity or Newt Gingrich uh, promoting this idea. You think that the White House social media director keeps a close eye on R. The Donald and feeds them to the president? Right. That's what we've reported. The Daily Beast White House reporters heard that Dan Scavino, Trump's social media director, is very familiar with the Donald and sort of keeps an eye on it. We've seen the president tweet memes or altered video from the Donald. For example, he tweeted, you know, this was maybe a year or two ago, the edited video where Trump is body slamming a wrestler, Mm. but the wrestler is made to look like CNN. Mm. So that came, for example, from the Donald. June 26th was a big day for the Donald. It was actually punished by Reddit for harboring violent threats against police officers. Describe what happened. This came during this showdown in Oregon. Politics have gotten so ugly in Oregon, the Democratic governor has now ordered troopers to track down Republican state lawmakers. They are rogue 
Uh, they need to get back. They need to do their jobs. It all came to a head Wednesday with a warning from the governor saying she'd contacted state police after Republican senators said they would walk out of the legislature to block a vote on a landmark climate bill aimed at dramatically lowering greenhouse gas emissions. Now, this sort of thing has been done by both parties in Oregon, right? Right. And, and, and really all over the country, you know, in Wisconsin, we saw Democrats walk out a few years ago. Texas. Uh, in, in Texas, exactly. And so th- this tactic isn't unheard of. But what was notable was that there was a lot of anti-police rhetoric coming from the, the senators themselves. One of the Republican state senators said, Send bachelors and come heavily armed. I'm not going to be a political prisoner in the state of Oregon. It's just that simple. With the implication, you know, that he would shoot them. That is really messed up. <laughs> I mean, whether or not the senators avoiding the vote are Democratic or Republican, they are doing it unlawfully, and the, the cops have the right to go get them. That's exactly right. The rhetoric was so ratcheted up here that we saw a lot of militias in that area saying, you know, we're going to be out protecting these senators with guns. And that same rhetoric was then reflected on the Donald with various comments saying, you know, the only way we're getting out of this is through guns, stuff like that. So when R. the Donald started making some of the same violent noises on that site, Reddit quarantined it. What does that even mean? On Reddit, being quarantined makes it harder to find the forum on Reddit. It doesn't appear in search results. It's not going to hit the front page of the entire site for, like, the most popular content, which a lot of people just visit the front page. So if you can't appear there, it's going to be harder to find you. Additionally, people have to see a disclaimer warning that this is kind of an extreme subreddit before they can see it. It makes you pause before clicking through? Right, exactly. And it basically just makes it harder for the subreddit to gain new users and makes it harder for the material on the subreddit to circulate elsewhere on the site. But as you said, R. The Donald has over a million users. Do you think that this quarantine is going to have a real impact? You know, it's interesting. I think the other thing to note about Reddit is that the larger user base tends to be more liberal than certainly the inhabitants of the Donald. Hmm. So it's not clear how much they're recruiting people or or how much they're hurt by being harder to discover on Reddit. I think the larger impact is that quarantining is often a step towards the subreddit being banned entirely. Uh, We've seen that happen with other extremist subreddits uh, that were first quarantined and then deleted. Like what? Subreddits called like cringe anarchy, stuff like this, mm-hmm. that, that basically posted content that sort of inspired these harassment mobs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, in this case, in the Donald, it's Reddit saying, We've told you about this dozens of times that you need to moderate this subreddit better. You're not doing it. And so, they're basically saying, like, We're serious about this. And, you know, if you don't change your attitude towards how you handle the content on this site, your community is going to be banned entirely. So, obviously, to the forum's critics, the punishment was long overdue. But it also feeds the right wing media narrative that tech companies are censoring conservatives. And that was one of the stated reasons for the White House social media summit last week. So what's your take on that? Are Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and so on really biased against conservatives? I will say, I think there have been a couple incidents in which the social media companies have admitted they were wrong. For example, Marsha Blackburn, who was a congresswoman who then ran for Senate, she had an ad and Twitter prevented it from being a promoted ad because it criticized Planned Parenthood. Twitter eventually said they were wrong about that. But in general, I think a lot of these allegations are very difficult to prove, and I don't think they've been really effectively proven by the conservatives who allege there's bias. They're very anecdotal. You know, I hear from people who can't follow 
follow me. It's not clear if that's user error. We've seen the president get very upset when his own Twitter follower numbers drop, so much so that he called the CEO of Twitter to the White House to discuss why his follower numbers were down. Mm -hmm. And they said, essentially, you know, this was a regular bot purge. Barack Obama lost more followers than Trump did. So that suggests there's not real bias at play. But of course, Trump's still yelling about it anyway. Exactly. Still months later, he's still mad about it. So after the quarantine was imposed on R. The Donald, the Donald had his uh, summit, and he invited two of R. The Donald's biggest posters. One is Carpe Donctum, and there's another guy who goes by the name Mad Liberals. What do we know about these guys? So we don't know too much about them in terms of their background. They're both men. Carpe Donctum is a Midwestern Trump supporter. He describes himself as a meme smith. And many of his memes have been picked up by the president's Twitter account and, and posted on there, which sort of makes him like a celebrity on the Donald. What are some of Carpe Donctum's memes? Some of the most famous memes he's put together uh, that have been posted by the president on his Twitter account include this video of Joe Biden kind of creepily popping up behind himself with the implication being that Joe Biden's a creep. Uh, He also had one that was an edited cover of a magazine that suggested Trump would just sort of run for president in perpetuity and that, you know, liberals would be so upset about this. So, you know, these are the kind of things that caught the president's eye or caught Dan Scavino's eye, uh, his social media director, and gotten posted on Twitter. In a way, inviting people like Carpe Donctum signals to Trump supporters online, you know, we see you and we appreciate your efforts and, you know, keep them up going into 2020. There wasn't any actual representatives from tech companies? No. The tech companies, certainly the tech giants, weren't invited. There was a representative from a much more obscure social network called Minds.com, the sort of popular for people who have been kicked off of Twitter or Facebook. But in general, the companies were not invited. So it sort of just turned into kind of a gripe fest. All these people who, you know, on one hand are thrilled to meet Trump. And, and you know, at the same time, it's also a place for these kind of right-wing personalities who feel they've been targeted by Twitter or Facebook or YouTube to complain about exactly that. So a few examples. There's that guy, Ali Alexander, who shared a tweet that questioned Kamala Harris's racial background. Ali is a sort of long-running GOP or uh, conservative operative who gets up to various schemes. He's probably most notable for during the Democratic debate in June. Alexander, who identifies as both Black and Arab-American, he tweeted that Kamala Harris was not really a, quote, American Black because her parents were not from the United States originally. So it's almost this kind of like a new era birther smear. He was very active in promoting that. We saw Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, tweet, essentially promote this claim. Mm -hmm. Some people that our listeners might be familiar with would be uh, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas, who's famous for his stings in which he edits what he records to make people look guiltier than they might otherwise have. Right, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of right-wing operatives, Ali Alexander, James O'Keefe. A lot of people additionally who are invited have a history of promoting hoaxes or conspiracy theories. Jim Hoft, who's this big blogger on the right called Gateway Pundit, Mm -hmm. uh, his site has misidentified people, perpetrators of mass shootings. At one point a couple years ago, his site claimed that anti-fascist super soldiers were preparing to essentially execute white parents across (laughs) the country. It's just absolute nonsense. But, you know, this is the kind of stuff that by inviting these people to the White House, Trump is condoning and promoting to his base. And there was the former White House aide, Sebastian Gorka, who just days before the summit made a claim on his radio show that the U.S. women's national soccer team was, quote, insane. 
and they want to destroy everything that is wholesome in our country and in our Judeo-Christian civilization. Right. I mean, even by the standards of the Republican Party, this was a pretty extreme bunch that the president invited. Trump gave an hour-long speech to the people in attendance. Some of you are extraordinary. The, the crap you think of is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, in exactly. In a good way. <laughs> the summit served many goals for the president, and one of them was thanking his biggest uh, online meme makers. You know, I, I thought it was notable, given how many hoaxers were invited, that the president said, you guys get it right most of the time. You know, sometimes not really. And, you, you know, in terms of the actual accuracy of, of what the content they put out, and additionally, he said that he could sort of understand why some of them had been banned from social media sites. So he's in a way recognizing how extreme some of these people are. One remark he made that was interesting was he sort of went on this digression about what he feels does or doesn't count as free speech. And we don't want to stifle anything. We certainly don't want to stifle free speech. But that's no longer free speech. See, I don't think that the mainstream media is free speech either because it's so crooked. It's so dishonest. So to me, free speech is not when you see something good and then you purposely write bad. To me, that's very dangerous speech. And you become angry at it. You know, the summit in many ways was they were claiming it was about protecting free speech online. But I think based on who was invited, basically all just right-wing characters, I think it's pretty clear that there's one kind of free speech he really wants to see protected online. And then when he's attacking the media, when he feels it's unfair, that's not free speech. I mean, I think that's concerning. So do you think the purpose of the event was to redefine what free speech means? Do you think it was to rally the troops for 2020? What do you think the purpose was? I think there's a couple reasons Trump organized this event. One, I think, is to both encourage these sort of online characters ahead of 2020 to say that he recognizes them and also to sort of build connections between the White House staff and these people. Additionally, I think it gives him a pretext to rally more against tech companies and suggest to Republicans that they're being oppressed by these social media giants, you know, which is something we've seen Republican lawmakers sort of ramp up their attacks on. You know, for example, Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, who's a Republican, he has proposed cracking down on tech companies' freedom to moderate their own websites. Hmm. This allegation that they have to be politically neutral when they do it, which isn't true, but he's promoting this idea of cracking down on them. Now, as long as Democrats control the House, it's probably unlikely that they're going to get any progress on that legislation. But I think hearing these complaints from Republicans and Trump activists, you know, it sort of gives the president more fuel for this push. It's really interesting having fair and balanced moderators harkens back to the days of the Fairness Doctrine, which Democrats, some of them have called for over many Republican protests. It was Reagan who got rid of it, and it was getting rid of it that enabled right-wing media to rise. We wouldn't have had the Rush Limbaugh phenomenon. We wouldn't have AM radio as it is today if it weren't for the lifting of the Fairness Doctrine. Right, exactly. I mean, there is a certain irony to, as you say, like the modern right-wing movement has been so fueled by talk radio, which was only really able to happen after the Fairness Doctrine was repealed. And now, essentially, they want their own fairness doctrine with social media. I think a lot of these cases where they're cited as oppression of conservatives or bias against them, when you look at the individual cases, often, I think even to many people on the right, I think it can be understandable why the tech companies took the action they did. On one hand, I think it's concerning to have these super powerful companies that are able to essentially decide whether someone exists online. 
On the other hand, in the case of actor James Woods, for example, a conservative Trump supporter who Trump gave a shout-out to during his speech, this is a guy who's been locked out of his Twitter account for tweeting that Democrats should be hung. So in these individual cases, I think it often is very specific to a call for violence. And the social media companies, I think, are very sensitive to these accusations of bias. But then other times, I think, you know, they feel that they have to take action. It sounds like what's going on now, what the extreme right wing is upset about, is basically these tech companies allowing the invisible hand of the market to determine what goes on online, right? These are businesses, as you said at the beginning of the interview. So extreme right wing conspiracy theorists, I guess, uh, don't believe in the free market. They've come up with a term for this. They call it woke capitalism. So essentially, they're saying these companies are imposing liberal values on them, and they don't feel that that's fair. I think in other cases, the answer here would be, if you're a Republican and you're a supporter of the free market, why don't you go make your own social media network? And in practice, they have tried to do that. And then those new social media networks either have to start moderating content as well and end up in the same situation, or they get very marginalized and cut off from the rest of the internet. So then people don't want to go on them because it's a tiny platform. Mm-hmm. Yep. Goddamn free market. <laughs> Thank you so much, Will. Thanks for having me. Will Summer is a tech reporter for The Daily Beast. 